Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. I want scripture today. One scripture today, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. One scripture today. When you there, say amen to me. All right, Ephesians 6, verse 4 says this Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training. And instruction of the Lord. I'm going to say it again because it's one short verse. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the instruction uh, and the, uh, the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let, it, let us pray. Father, we thank you today. We praise you today that we have this awesome opportunity, God, to study your word today. Um, I pray, God, that today um, your word would enter our hearts deeply today, God. I pray um, that you would just move and transform in our heart, both for men and women alike today, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts today, God. I pray that you would do something supernatural today in our hearts, God, that you would just transform us, that you would change our perspective today, God. I pray that, that you would enlighten our minds today, God. I pray that you would encourage us today. I pray that you would convict us today, God. And I pray ultimately, Lord, that we would see Christ in a whole new way, that we would seek after him, that we would come to know him, God, that we will be followers of Jesus, that we will be committed followers of Jesus on today. And so, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for everything that you're going to say and that you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and the people of God said, A. Men, you may be seated. My sermon title today is The Significance of a Godly Father. The Significance of a Godly Father. Evangelist Billy Graham once said this, A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valued assets in society. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in society. I think what Graham said many years ago, I believe that the scriptures today would jive with Graham's sentiments of the value and significance that a father has in the life of his family, especially his children. I think that sometimes it is hard for us to grasp and completely understand the gravity of the situation because in modern times, we have grown so accustomed to heroic, valiant, and courageous mothers that do the job of raising kids with little to no help from a father. We, we've all seen it and some of us have experienced it. And thank God for mothers who step up in the plate and play both roles or make an attempt to play both roles. We've seen it. The mother has to do all of the work that a father is supposed to be doing and she's left to do this by herself. We've seen this and, and we see it often in our culture and in our community. But let me tell you this today, what has become normative in culture does not mean that it was God's intention. 
What what has become normative in culture does not mean that it has been God's intention. Fatherlessness was never God's design. No matter how normal it becomes, it does not equate to God's approval just because people are doing it. And so the family structure, the family unit with a, a father, a father, a, a man that was born a male, and a, I had to say it, I got to say this today, a father who was born a man and a woman who was uh, born a woman, uh, they, they are still the most significant infrastructure in society. The family is still the most important infrastructure in society with a father and a mother present in the life of a child. And so I don't think we realize how serious and how grave this is is in our culture today because we've become accustomed to that which is normative, which is fatherlessness. But if we were to take a cursory glance at the statistics, recent statistics would reveal the grave implications of fatherlessness and the staggering negative effects that it has in the life of children who don't have a father present in the home. Did you know that 85 to 90 percent of prisoners or people who have been to prison come from fatherless homes? 85% of people who are in jail today are in there because they came from a fatherless home. Did you know that 85% of children who have behavioral disorders grow up in a fatherless home? Let me tell you this culturally. 20.7% of white children grow up in a home without their biological father. Hispanic children, 31.2% of Hispanic children grow up without a father in the home. And then the number becomes staggering for black children. Black children, at an alarming rate, 57.6% of black children grow up in a house without their biological father present. Did did you hear what I just said? I said almost 60% of black children grow up without a father in the home. That that should make you weep. That that should that should should open your eyes to how important this is. Did you know that almost a, a one in three black children grow up without their daddy in the home? That's crazy. Those numbers should make us weep. They should make us fall on our knees and beg God for mercy. This is how important this is. One in three children are being raised without a father in the home. This is how serious this is, and it breaks God's heart. Because it was never his intention. This was never his intention. And so for every time you hear a woman say, I don't need no man. I can do it by myself. You should look at her and you should feel sorry. Because I don't think she understands the implications of what she's saying. But here's what I want to tell you today, men. Men of God, we have an amazing opportunity today. For those of us that are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an unbelievably incredible opportunity to change the narrative and transform the world through the way we approach manhood in general and fatherhood in particular. Men, God has given us an extraordinary assignment and one that is virtually impossible to do, but with God's help, we can do it. Men, I don't think we realize how much influence God has given us in every sphere of life, but nowhere more important than in the family. Do you know that when a 
child comes to church, 17% of the time, the rest of the family will come. What I mean is this. If a child comes to church because they were invited by a friend or a child comes uh, because somebody picked them up in the neighborhood and brought them to church and they they love going, 17% of the time, the family will follow. If a woman comes to church, 30% of the time, the family will follow. If a woman is involved and engaged in church, 30% of the time, the, the family will come. But when it comes to men, let me tell you about your influence, men. 93% of the time, if a man is in church, the family will come. 93% of the time, if a man comes first, then the rest of the family will follow. That is the kind of leadership that God has given men. 17% of the time, if a child comes, the rest of the family comes. 30% of the time, if a woman comes, the rest of the family comes. But 93% of the time, if a man comes first, then the rest of the family is coming. Man, you have a rated responsibility. Dad, future dad, how are you stewarding the influence that God has given you? No matter what culture has said or what culture tells us, It is the father's responsibility to lead the home and to lead his children, especially in spiritual matters. God loved you so much, man, that he gave you the awesome responsibility to steward the life of your children for his glory. This gift that God gives us as parents, no parent deserves this gift, and we're woefully incapable of raising these children and managing them. But when God gives a man children, he should see it as a sign of God's grace and a summons that God is calling him to trust him even more. Psalm 127 verse 3 says this, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are not a nuisance. They're not a nuisance. Raising children is an assignment from God. The father, along with the mother, in the home is an assignment from God. But the father takes the lead. Dad, do you know that you are the child's first pastor? That you are the chief disciple maker in the home? The father is to lead his children and to make them disciples of the living, resurrected Jesus. But God is not one to just tell us to do something and leave it up to us on our own, how to figure it out and how to get the job done. That's not what God does. God knew that fathers needed special instructions on how to use their God-given positions of authority and to use it for the good of their children and for the glory of God. And let me tell you today, you may feel incapable or ill-equipped. You may feel misunderstood, but God's grace is sufficient. There is no time like the presence. There is a sense of urgency for fathers, for, for father figures to get it right right on this, to get it right early. I want to think, I want to put it like this. I think Frederick Douglass, Douglass' words would alarm us. He said it's this, it is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I think we see many attempts to try to repair broken men. But maybe There will be less work to do on that end if we put in the effort to build strong children. It starts when they are young. But even if your children are no longer young, it's better late than never. It's better late than never. 
from the people of God's origins, it has always been the parent's job to teach their children. Primarily, it is the father's job to teach the children. When we look at the Shema that the Jews would read, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If we read on down to verses 20 through 25, it says this, when your sons ask you in the future, what is the, why do we go to church? Why don't we believe in God? What, what is this God thing all about? What, what is the meaning of the decrees, the statutes, and ordinances that the Lord, your God, has commanded you? Tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh, and all of its household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us in and give us the land that he swore to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to follow all of these statutes and to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always and for our preservation as it is today. Righteousness will be ours if we are careful to follow every one of these commands before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. It is the father's job to teach the children. It always has been and it always will be in the eyes of God. So, I think from today's passage, there are three things that will help present and future fathers. There are three things from today's passage that will help present fathers and future fathers, Ephesians 6.4 says this, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There are three things I want to give you today that a father must be and do. Three things. Number one, he must be tender. Number two, he must train. And number three, he must teach. Number one, he must be tender. Number two, he must train. And number three, he must teach. Let me say it again. Number one, he must be tender. Number two, he must train. And number three, he must teach. It says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. This is so important. This is so important. He's essentially saying, fathers, don't, don't provoke your children. Don't create resentment and bitterness in your children. Many people sitting in this church today have bitterness and resentment in their hearts toward their fathers. Because of what daddy did not do. Or because of what daddy did. We know many people like that who, who have a hard time trusting in a God that they, God the father that they don't see because of the father that they did see. We know many people who harbor unforgiveness against their fathers because of whatever it was that they did not do or what they did do that, that created a resentment in the hearts of their children. But what we see here in, in an instruction for fathers is, is to use their position of authority with restraint. It is a God-given position as a father to be a leader, to be a authority figure in the home, but God is calling us to use that role with restraint. That is why early in the book, for context's sake, if we look at Ephesians 6, 
6.4 and we just take it as a standalone scripture, we'll miss the point. But remember, this is connected to a larger narrative that goes all the way back to Ephesians chapter 4. But the point I want to make is Ephesians 5.18, he makes a command before he talks about the family unit, when he talks about husbands and wives, children obey your parents, and then he gets the fathers to children. He talks about the family context, but before he does that, Ephesians 5.18, he says something very particular. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. Why is that important if he tells fathers, don't uh, stir up anger in your children? Because what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You need the Holy Spirit to parent anybody. We need Spirit-filled fathers. To know how to exercise restraint and be gentle with their children. And so I'm going to give you five ways that that parents, fathers in particular, stir up anger in their children. This is not exhaustive. This is just a couple of things because I started thinking about the list and I came with like 100 things. But I'm going to give you five for the sake of time. Number one, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children by being overbearing. Warn them and keep them from danger, but take the risk and allow them to make decisions that is necessary for their emotional and spiritual development. You you can't keep your children from everything. At some point, as they get older and as they mature year by year, you have to relinquish the reins and let them make decisions on their own so that they can develop emotionally and spiritually. I love the way R. Kent Hughes uh, writes it in a book about godly men. He says it's like holding a wet bar of soap. Raising children is like holding a wet bar of soap. That's that's interesting because if 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 you hold it too tight, what does it do? It slips right out of your hand but but if you don't hold it tight enough it falls on the floor but but there's a gentle and firm grip that keeps that soap right in your hand and that's how you're supposed to raise children not too tight so that they slip away but not so loose that they get away from you too he says don't be overbearing don't 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 stir them to anger by being overbearing let me give you a little news break you can be overbearing from age zero to 18 all you want but as soon as they leave your house they're going to do all the things that you did not let them do. That's why some of them now, fathers, act a fool on social media. You know how it is when you cage a dog and you don't let him out. The first time you open that cage, Bobo goes crazy. And we got a bunch of children going crazy on the gram, flexing out their adultness because they were never allowed to make decisions when they were younger. So she got to show you that she knows how to drink, so she posts up with a drink on the gram. She, she got she to show you that now she's free, and so she wears something a little extra tight on the gram. You didn't let him pick out his outfit, so now every time he posts a picture, he's got to show his little chest hairs. He's got to, you're going to get these pets today. Number two, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children by being the leading discourager and critic. 
There's another parallel scripture to this in Colossians 3.21 that says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Your responsibility is not to be the one to tell your children at every turn why something ain't going to work out. That This is especially in areas of goals and aspirations. Sometimes, parents, you will have to invest money into something that you don't believe in just so your children can get the experience of failure or success. But if you don't help them and you don't encourage them, they will never try anything. But society needs parents who will invest in their children, will push them, will encourage them to do something productive in society so that we can make the world better. But if you put the reins on on them and you tell them you will only be a teacher, you will only be a nurse, you will only do this nine to five, you will only do this thing that I myself couldn't even do, you will only do this, you will stifle your children. Let them learn early, but encourage them to do so. Encourage them to do so. Your job as a father is to be the CEO, the chief encouragement officer. The chief encouragement officer, yeah, you can do it. I believe in you. You'd be like, oh, God, Jesus. But yeah, I believe in you. You can do it. You're great. You're going to make it. You, 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 you can do it. You, 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 can, you can do it. Proverbs 16, 24 tells us, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body. Nothing feels good like an encouraging word. Man, I, I'm telling you, man, I, I hit the male the mailman lottery, man, I had so many good dudes in my life and my family. Oh, my God, I had so many good dudes, man. One of, one of my chief encouragement officers it was my Uncle Carl. Man, ever since I can remember, he's always told me he was proud. He, he's always told me that, that I could do it. He made me feel like I could run through a brick, brick wall. If, 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 if I did anything good, he made sure I heard about it. He, he always, and that, that felt good. That encouraged me to go even a little further. But when all you do is criticize and tell them why they can't do it and why it won't work out, and you put your own personal limitations on them, you stifle the growth of your children. Your job is to be the chief encouragement officer in your household. Number three, fathers, don't stir up angering your children by putting unrealistic expectations on them. You can't be harsh on them about things that they need to achieve that you never achieved yourself. You see it, these people yelling at their kids at these AAU basketball and Little League baseball games. Come on, you can do better than that. Trying to encourage your son to be the next LeBron or Steph Curry. Failing to look in the mirror and see, Dad, you're only five foot seven. His mom is five three. How is this possible? Come on, you can be an A student in math. How, Dad? You barely got out of high school. You're the worst math student that ever existed, but you want your kids to be Einstein. Come on, get an A in geography. Dad, you can't even name any continents. You ain't left a block. But you put unrealistic expectations on your children. And sometimes their limitations is not a reflection of them. It's a reflection of you. Number four, fathers don't stir up anger in your children by being inconsistent and making false promises. 
if you say you're going to do something, do it. You should, this should not be in your vocabulary. I promise you, next time I'm going to. You shouldn't even have to do anything. You should just speak it and your children should believe it because they have proof and evidence that you've always kept your word. If you can't keep it, don't say it. Man, I'm telling you, man, I like, like, it's nothing like being consistent and being present to your children. If you are inconsistent and you tell them you're coming to get them and you never show up, you break your child's heart over and over again. You know what you do? You create mistrust in your children. Now they don't trust anybody. And when they get to a job or get in school or, God forbid, get in a church, they can't even trust their leaders. Because you couldn't keep your word. But fathers, when you are there and you're present and you're consistent, nothing is better than that. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I was reading this book, and I, and I recommend everybody read this book before you get married, after you get married, before you have children, if you have children. I, I recommend you read this book called The Dad Difference. One of the greatest books, might be the greatest book I ever read, called The Dad Difference. And in the book, the author Brian Loritz talks about headwind dads and tailwind dads. His theory is that either you can be a headwind to your children's development or you can be a tailwind to them. And here's what he says, I've achieved more in less time, not because of how smart or lucky I am, but because I had a caring, involved, intentional, godly dad in my life. He had a tailwind father. Man, I got to tell you, I, I had a tailwind father too, man. I can't tell you the the difference that having my daddy present at all my games, at all my graduations, Having him there, what that did for me and meant for me. I, I didn't need to look outside for affirmation. I had it right there in the house. I saw my daddy every day for the first 18 years of my life until I left the house. I saw him every day. That meant everything to me. That means everything to a young boy, young girl, to have their father present, to know that you're there. He was at all the games, and I don't remember the outcome of all them games. I know I won a lot, but I don't remember the outcome of all the games. I don't remember the scores or who we played against, but you know what I do remember? That he was there. I remember that he was present. And so, fathers, what's more important than you giving stuff is you giving you. Point number five, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children by being harsh. Don't be verbally, mentally and God forbid, physically abusive to your children. And some guys, I'm going to be tough with him. I'm going to be hard on him. Prepare him for the real world. You're preparing him for the real world, not prison. And so we have to be careful that we're not too harsh. Parents, the worst thing you can do is take out your frustrations about life out on your children. Some of them whoopings have nothing to do with your children, but everything that happened in your life. You whipping your children in reverse because you whipping them wishing this is what you could have did to your parents. You whipping your children thinking that this is what you could do, wish you could do to your boss. Don't stir up anger by being too harsh with your children. But my first point in the three points, the three T's of being tender, training, and teaching, number one is to be tender with your children. Fathers, don't 
raise your kids in such a way to the extent that they lose heart and give up on pleasing your pleasing parents. Don't, don't raise them in such a way that they lose heart and give up. He says, bring them up. Bring them up means to nourish them, to be tender. He says, bring them up. Bring them up. It literally means to be tender or to nourish your children. Show affection to your children. Let me give you a, let me give you a game changer. Young boys need just as much affection as daughters do. He cold and can't connect because you don't hug him and tell him you love him. Do you know that somebody's going to have to marry him later? But he absent because his heart has never been cultivated to show affection because he sees it as a sign of weakness, not as a strength. But don't you know that God is affectionate and tender? That God didn't watch you from afar and just felt love for you? But God sent his son physically to be in your life? God is affectionate. God is tender. His mercies are tender. So we should be tender. And so this is a transformative perspective in their culture. In the book of Ephesus, this is a Roman culture. Fathers had all this authority, and fathers ruled with a strong hand. They could make the decision to actually throw their children away, to be abusive to their children, whatever they wanted to do. I think John Stott, theologian John Stott, put this in, puts this in perspective. He says this, it was a radical change from the callous cruelty which prevailed in the Roman Empire, in which unwanted babies were abandoned, weak and deformed ones were killed, and even healthy children were regarded by many as partial nuisance because they inhibited sexual promiscuity and complicated easy divorce. This was the culture. And here Paul is in the sacred text telling fathers to be, to be tender with their children. There's a place to foster resilience and toughness in your children, to not always come to the rescue too soon, to instill in them to the, the fact that it's not okay to always take your ball and go home. But there is a place for tenderness in the life of your children. Be tender. Number two, fathers must train their children. You know the proverb, Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up the child in the way it should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. You know that. Right. But when he says train them, he's actually talking about discipline, discipline, even even if it means some sort of punishment to chastise or to correct your children. When Paul was speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy, he told him, he says, train yourself in godliness. Train, work out. It's strenuous. It's hard work. But you must train your children, train your children in their behavior so that they're not baby terrorists when they grow up. You've all seen it. You've been in the store. You've been in the mall. You've seen that child in the aisle. You've seen that child throw a stone cold fit in the aisle in the store. You've seen that child yell at his mama. And what do you do? You look back, side eye, saying, I wish. I wish a baby would. I wish he would. I, I wish he would. Oh, if I had a hold, if I got a hold for five minutes because what your spirit identifies is that this child is not being trained we must train our children train them those proverbs 13 24 24 proverbs 13 24 says this those who spare the rod of discipline 
hate their children. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. To discipline your children is a sign of care. So a parent has to train and discipline their child. But let me give you this, this, this caveat. Discipline is not abuse. Some of y'all are extension cord babies. Some of y'all are whatever I can get my hands on. Children, whatever, is, whatever weapon of mass destruction is nearest to me at the time of your greatest affliction is, is right there. But discipline is not abuse. Remember what he told him? Be tender. Be tender with it. But still discipline them. Because the discipline is working out something greater than punishment. It's supposed to produce the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11 says this. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It is painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those trained in this way. It's supposed to produce something. The aim of discipline is not punishment. It's correction. It's correction. The third thing that fathers must do is teach them. He says, bring them up. Tend, be tender with them in the teaching, in the training, and in instruction of the Lord. To, to really, to teach means to place before their minds, to put into their minds. This was and still is the father's first and foremost responsibility. I love what Brian Loritz says in the book, Dad Difference. Fathers are the tenured professors of the home. So, what am I supposed to be teaching? You're supposed to be teaching them the scriptures. You're supposed to be teaching them the word of God. Once again, Paul said to his spiritual son, Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. What am I supposed to teach my kids? Teach your kids the gospel. Teach your children the gospel. Psalm 78 verses 5 through 7 says this. It has always been the, 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 the modus operandi that, that fathers would teach their children. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Why? That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The greatest teaching that you can give them is a teaching that will save their life and give them life. They need to hear the story of how God has sent his son into the world to seek and save that which was lost. It will teach them that life is not about them. They will know from their father that all of life is to be lived out for the glory of God and for the good of others. Life, they will learn that life is most fulfilled when we aim for something that is beyond ourselves. All of the tenderness, the training, and the teaching is to be done in the Lord. He says, bring them up in the instruction, in the teaching, in the, in the training, in the Lord. 
everything that a father, a godly father, is to do with their children is to be done in the Lord. Meaning that the way you raise your children needs to have God's stamp of approval on it. Because all child rearing is not godly child rearing. The goal of all discipline and instruction is Christ-like conformity. To make your children just like Jesus. To make them like their Savior. Let me tell you something. The child may look like and bear a striking resemblance to their father. But the goal is never to duplicate them in your image. It's to make them into the image of Jesus. The very heart of Christian nurture is to bring the heart of the child to the heart of the Savior. To give them Jesus is the greatest gift the father can give his children. The most important part of your legacy is not to give them money and real estate, although that is important. Let me say that. It's important. Leave your child something other than debt. You hear me? Leave your children something physical and something tangible, but that ain't it. And it's not the most important. The most important thing that you can pass off to your children is a faith and a trust in a God that will never fail them. Well, what if you're uncomfortable teaching and you don't really know much? What, what, man, I don't know the Bible like that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a biblical scholar. You don't need to go to seminary to teach your children the Bible. But you do need to be intentional about learning it yourself. But even better than teaching them the Bible with your words... The best teachers don't just teach from their heads. They teach from the overflow of their lives. Your children will learn more from what is caught than from what is taught. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. A father's holy life is a rich legacy for his sons. Fathers, we must strive to raise our children so well that when they become adults, we give praise to God if their allegiance to Christ supersedes their allegiance to all other earthly relationships. But the question then becomes, how can a father whose heart is far away from God lead their children to the heart of the father? Most men would say that they want the best for their children. You won't find a good daddy alive that doesn't say he wants the best for their children. But, but you know what is best from your children? Leading them to the safest, most satisfying, most protective, most life-giving, most rewarding, most loving, and understanding place that they could ever be to the heart of God. And the only way to get there is through Jesus. You want what's best for your children? You go first. You lead the way. Today, no matter what your experience has been, you can start now. You tell them the story of how God loved you to the point that, that the great father loved you so much that he sent his only son to die a bloody, gruesome, violent death on a cross so that your child could be saved. The only way you fail as a father is if you detach your parenting from following Jesus, the most manly man that ever lived. That was a strong and tender man at the same time. But I get it. 
I know what you're saying. Some of you are feeling me like, man, that is ideal. And I wish I had that. And I get it. Because of the fall, Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world, there were no longer any perfect fathers. They ceased to exist. Though Father's Day for many of you may be tough, you may be indifferent, you may have lost a father, you may have never had one, you may have had a strained relationship with yours or no relationship with all, but here's the good news. You get something better. A perfect father who keeps all of his promises, who is always consistent, who is always tender and merciful, who is always slow to anger, who is filled with love, a love that is so deep that he sent his only child to die so that he could adopt you and bring you into his family. He is a father that promised in his word that though your father and mother may forsake you, he is always there with you. That, that, that is the heart of God, the father, a father who at his son's baptism before he goes into ministry, he says, this is my son, my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that same father that was pleased with the son because you have life in the son is now pleased with you. I'm done. That same father has offered forgiveness to you. I'll say this and I'm done. If you are a dad and you've already made some bad mistakes, you've sinned in the worst way. Through his son, he offers forgiveness so that you can be completely free from guilt and shame. The same forgiveness that has been offered to you has been given to you and you can extend it to others. You can extend forgiveness even to fallen and failed fathers. My question to the people who didn't experience a great father experience, my question to you is how long will you let that stay in your heart? How long would that keep you bound? How long will the effects and wounds of an absent or derelict father clog your heart? I love, I love this. I, I, I love the sovereignty of God. Because God says, yes, you had an imperfect earthly father. But here's the overwhelming silver lining. You now have a perfect father. <laughs> what you didn't get with him, you have everything with me. And even if you did have a good experience like me, you now have a perfect one who makes no mistakes. Who's tender. Who can train you. Who can teach you in such a way that you live for the glory of something beside yourself. Teaching children, teaching children uh, or young men to be, to be men ain't about being rough and tough. We have to get out of this place where, where the best that a father can do is send a gift from afar. 
Shoes are nice. School clothes are cool. But what they need is you. So look, I, I, I get it. We live in a culture where, where, where what is right or what is God's intention is not normative. Th- th- there's no condemn- condemnation in that. But it does mean that when we have the right perspective and we start from the day, we make sure moving forward as men, as fathers, that we get this right. What would the incarceration rates look like if fathers were just present? We make, we make the issues in our culture and our society about everything else. Because it works for certain agendas on this side or certain agendas on this side. But let me tell you the truth. The truth is, if that men were just there for their children... It will solve a lot of our problems. Fathers, future fathers, it's not too late to step up to the plate and do what's right. But you got to lead the way. The most important thing that you can do in your life is allow your children to see you and experience that you have been transformed and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to work hard for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't, you don't need to deserve it. There, there's no merit in it. I know men like to work and we like to do stuff. and We want to be active. We want to grab a hold on something, but that's not how faith works. The Bible says that Abraham believed and God credited it to him as righteousness. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, in Christ alone, you have eternal life. You are, your sins are forgiven. You have new life in Christ Jesus. That, that is what changes everything. But until you do it, we will live in a world of children who are desperately looking for their fathers to be who God intended for them to be. So today we can do something different. We can change the narrative and we make a decision to be tender, to train, and to teach. In Jesus' name, let us pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.